0: some mud. There was mud everywhere. Lots of mud. There was some small holes, some big mud holes. But there, the, in the spot that we were at, there was this one hole in particular. Just, It was huge. Big mud puddle. And when I drove past it, the thought would cross my mind every time, like I should give this a go. But, but then, the, then the, the smarts would kick in. I'd go, okay, that's, no, that's way too big. Just move on to the next mud puddle. Every time I drove around, though, I'd always pause for a second, but then move on to the next mud puddle. Well, pretty soon, it was time to get heading home, and, and as we're making our way out, guess what mud hole? I had to drive right past the big mud puddle. And so me and Tori drive up to it, and we, we pause. I don't remember if she said anything, but she had to have been thinking, Dad, don't even think about what you're <laughs> thinking about. But then, then something happened. I don't know what this thing was that happened. I don't know if it was like a male macho thing, like that mud puddle's not going to get the best of me, I don't know if it was like just temporary insanity or or what, but it happened. And all of a sudden, I just had this temporary moment of irrational insanity, and I pointed the truck. It was already pointed at the mud puddle, but I stepped on the gas, went full on right into the middle of this mud puddle, and mud water just comes gushing over the front of the hood. Mud is flying on the windshield. Next thing I know, we just go straight down. The, The truck totally tilts to the driver's side, And you hear this, and it stops. It stalls right in the middle of this puddle. And so we're sitting there. Water is up to like halfway on the driver's side door. It starts leaking in the bottom of of the truck inside. And here we are. We are totally stuck. Photo, please. There we are. (laughs) I told you it was a big mud puddle. It was a big mud puddle. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Rich, don't even think about ever asking to borrow my truck or car or whatever. It's just not going to happen. The only manly thing that I did that day was, so I had to kind of shimmy out of the, the side of the truck and, and bounce along the, the, the rim of the truck bed. And I found those two tires so that Tori wouldn't have to get as wet as I did getting out of there. But... This is the first of many stuck stories that you're probably going to hear over the next several weeks. And I got to tell you, this isn't even close to being the worst. There's way worse than this one. Um, so I returned later on that night. We couldn't get it. wasn't running. wouldn't start. None of that kind of stuff. So I returned later on that night, and I had, we had a small group that night. So some of the guys in my small group, they've got, they've got trucks, big trucks. And so I thought, we'll come back. They'll help me get out. And we, we arrived there. It's dark. And... B- that my truck had already been towed out by this other truck. This young kid who had this, you know, massive mud truck with big tires and all that had pulled me out, adding to the humiliation. <laughs> and so we're standing there. This is the highlight of the day for me. We're standing there, me and the guys from my group, and we're just kind of shooting the breeze with this, this kid who pulled me out. And as we're standing there, all of a sudden this other truck comes, this guy with his big mud truck. He's got his girlfriend there sitting in the passenger seat. And he pulls up on the other side of this mud puddle he stops there and then he yells out his window he says hey have any of you guys been through this puddle and before me or any of the small group guys could say anything the guy that pulled us out said I haven't but this little Ford Ranger just went through and so (laughs) (laughs) so big mud truck the guy's like oh sticks in the first gear goes flying straight in and he, uh, the guy that towed me out, he had just a ton of use with that tow rope that day. It was just like crazy, but stuck. And you know, one of the most frustrating, exhausting, kind of suck the life right out of you, things that can happen, is to be stuck in a, in a place where you just can't get out of. And to be stuck implies that you don't like where you're at, you don't like being there stuck in the middle of that mud puddle, and there's a better place that you want to get to but you can't get there because you're stuck. You're stuck in that spot, and no matter how miserable the place is that you're stuck in, you just can't get out. And, and being stuck in mud is one thing. You know, the worst thing that can happen is that you'll do what I did and fry the motor on your truck. And, uh, uh, but there's other places that we get stuck that, that are just way more destructive. How about being stuck in shame? Stuck in this, this place where you just... You're stuck feeling like there's something wrong with you. You go through life, you make a mistake, or you just wake up in the morning, whatever, and you, just, you have these voices that are just always there. There's something wrong with you. You're a screw-up. You're a mess-up. You, on and on, that voice can go. Or how about being stuck in bad relationships? Maybe you're stuck with there's just no life. Maybe it's, it's a marriage that you're, you're in where it's just constant fighting. You're stuck in that spot. You're, there's maybe no trust or you're just stuck on autopilot. There's no life in your, your relationship at all. And no matter how many books or conferences or marriage magazines you read, you just can't get the tires going. No traction. You're, just, you're stuck. Or then there's being stuck in negative thought patterns. There's worry. There's anxiety. There's just this constant negativity. Maybe that's being stuck with no direction, stuck in a place of complete boredom, no purpose in life whatsoever, you're stuck, stuck in regret. You know, we could go on and on and on and on and on about the places that, that we get stuck in. And if you're stuck in an area of your life that's just killing your heart, it's, it's just crushing your soul, it's robbing you of life, you're in the right place today because we serve a God that specializes in getting people unstuck. Jesus said this. He said, if the sun sets you free, or if the sun gets you unstuck, you will be free indeed. King David, he's a guy that we're going to kind of look at this morning in a little bit more detail. He put it like this. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Sounds like he had a little bit of experience for buying (laughs) had his chariot get stuck a time or two. But he pulled me out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. It's like he saw God as being this, this big old four-by-four four coming along and towing him out of the mud and the muck and the mire. Only God doesn't have a winch. God's got this strong, loving arm. He reaches down, and he pulls him out of this place that he's stuck in and sets him on a firm place to stand. And... and what I love about God is he doesn't just get you unstuck so that you can struggle through life and so that you can fall back into that place of being stuck again. He gets us unstuck so that, so that we can stand on that firm place that David talked about, that firm place to stand. Scripture says that, that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be digging in to what it looks like and how, how Christ can set us free and get us unstuck. We're, there's a, one of the cool things about this series is that it's going to be a collaborative series. There's several pastors from the county that we're all getting together to kind of put this thing together. And we're just believing that God is going to set many people free, get them unstuck as we dig into to different areas. But this morning, I want to look a little bit deeper at King David's life. King David was the guy who he specialized in getting stuck. He got stuck on a number of occasions. Um, any guy that, that uses words like, mud and muck and mire is a guy that knows what it's like to be stuck. And in the story that we're going to read this morning, we find him stuck in in sin. He's stuck in shame. He's stuck in guilt. He's stuck in this spot of just having been caught up in a sinful pattern of living, and it's just got him separated from God, and he's stuck there. And the story we're going to read is, it's a well-known story. Um, One night, David's taking a leisurely walk on the balcony of his palace, as he's walking there on the balcony of his palace, his balcony is, it overlooks Jerusalem, the city that he's king over. And as he's walking, all of a sudden he catches a glimpse of some bare skin. And he focuses in and as he does, he, he looks a little closer and he sees a woman bathing on a rooftop. And he allows his eyes to linger. He allows his thoughts to begin to wander. And before David has done anything physical with this lady, he's sinning his heart by imagining what he would like to do with this lady whose name is Bathsheba. Not being content to stop there, though, he summons her to his palace, and then the rest of the story is history. And by the time David's scandalous escapade had come to an end, the damage and destruction was extensive. Bathsheba finds out that she's pregnant. Um, In order to cover his tracks, David has her husband murdered, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife, she gives birth to a baby who eventually dies. And all this happened because of David's sin. He got stuck in the sinful pattern. And it's interesting to me how when we get stuck in a pattern of sin, we, we never see the slippery slope. It seems like we just, we, we, we do that thing and we just, we don't really realize the, the slippery slope that we just hopped on. We don't really think about how that click on that website that we probably shouldn't be visiting might be the thing that ends up ruining and destroying a marriage. We don't realize that that one click, by just taking that click, we've hopped on this slippery slope. And the damage, who knows how how extensive it could be. David is not only stuck in a deadly cycle of sin, he finds himself stuck with guilt, shame, a relationship with God that's dead, and he's about as stuck as stuck can be. Eventually, David gets found out. He's got a friend who loves him enough to call him on his stuff. And on a side note, if you've got a friend who loves you enough to call you on your stuff and say, hey, you're doing this or I see you doing this, it's going to lead to a bad place. If you've got a friend like that, count yourself blessed. If you don't, begin praying, Jesus, bring a friend like that into my life who loves me enough to call me on my stuff. David's friend, his, his name is Nathan, calls David out. After being caught, after being stuck, David prays a prayer that just reveals the heart of someone who's becoming unstuck. In the first half of this prayer, we're going to call the prayer of the stuck. And it's a, it, it, it holds so many keys, principles that are crucial in getting unstuck. If you've got the tire spinning you're stuck in just a, a sinful deadly pattern of living, and you just can't get traction, David's prayer that he prays here just has some keys to getting unstuck. We're going to read it this morning. It's found in Psalm 51. He prays this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Anybody ever been there? It haunts Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. That chapter, the first half of it, is like a big old four-by-four truck this morning. It's God coming along, willing to pull you out. If you find yourself stuck in a pattern of sin, there's a way out, and it starts when you own that it's your sin that has you stuck. David isn't saying in this verse, he's not coming along and saying, God, you know what? What was with this lady who, who bathes on their rooftop where anybody can see? It's her fault. He's not, he, and when Nathan comes and calls him on it, you don't hear David going, you know, shifting things back to Nathan. You don't hear David going, okay, uh, Nathan, you really have no right to be calling me on my stuff when you've got this going on in your life. There's none of that at all. David owns it. He owns it. He prays, blot out my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, my sin. My rebellion. On and on he goes saying, it's, it's me. And we have such a hard time with this, don't we? Owning it ourselves, taking it on ourselves. And, it, and it, it's, I mean, it starts at a young age. I don't know any two-year-old, and I've had five two-year-olds. I don't know any two-year-old that's quick to apologize. It is so hard to get a two-year-old to understand how they need to apologize. But it's always like, no, they hit me first. They hit me harder. On and on. The excuse is go. We don't want to admit that that it's me and, and own it. But refusing to own it will keep you stuck. You have to own it. And then you have to confess it before God and others. Confess it before God and others. And David, he recognizes something important here. He recognizes that what he's done is ultimately, first and foremost, it's between him and God. He says, God, it's between you, it's against you, and you only have I sinned he confesses that to God. And then when his friend calls him on it, the the first words out of David's mouth aren't, uh, no, I didn't, or what are you doing Call me on this? The first words out of his mouth are, I have sinned against the Lord. You got to confess it before God and before others. And I know what you might be thinking. You're going, fat chance, Richard, that's ever going to happen. With what I've got going on, If anybody knew what I would have going on, I don't know what would happen. There's no way, Rich, I'm ever going to confess what's going on. It's it's a secret that I'm taking to my grave. Or maybe for you, it goes more like this: the area that I've been stuck in, it's nobody's business but mine. It's 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 nobody's business whatsoever. What good could it possibly do to tell someone what I'm going through? I'll just I'll just keep it to myself. Listen, without confession, you don't get unstuck. Doesn't matter if it's a sin issue which we're talking about this morning. It doesn't matter if it's a relationship issue, like a non-sin kind of issue. It doesn't matter if it's like a negativity issue, whatever. When you just go through life on your own with the tires spinning, stuck in the rut, you're not going to get out. You've got to confess before God and others. And, and I speak from experience this morning when I say that the most difficult part about getting a vehicle stuck is not actually getting stuck. It's not actually getting stuck. It's when I've got to go find somebody, and tell them, uh, hey, can you come help me get my little Ford Ranger out of a small pond? And they look at me and go, really? You did what? The worst part about getting stuck is when you got to go find some help because it can be humbling, it's vulnerable, it's just not a a good spot to be in. No one likes to do that. No one likes to, to, to... Tell someone what they've done. Because it means doing something that none of us enjoy doing. It means being vulnerable. Any of you in the room just love that word vulnerable? I just Yeah, I just love that word. It's just my favorite word. just love being vulnerable. love just getting my heart and my stuff and just putting it out there. No. None of us likes being vulnerable. Putting ourselves in a place where we could be hurt, rejected, laughed at. Where we could be shamed even more. Nobody likes to do that. We would much rather hide and just pretend that everything is okay, wouldn't we? But here's the deal with hiding you stay stuck. Trucks don't get pulled out of the mud when the driver just sits there and doesn't go for help, and neither do people. You don't get out, you don't get unstuck unless you go for help. Confess it before God. And before others, and when you do, when you've got the courage to confess and bring that thing that's in the dark into the light, which is what you're doing, when you're hiding, it's like you got it covered over here and it's in the dark. But when you bring it over here and you bring it into the light, something miraculous starts to happen because the light conquers the dark. And when you, when you get it out there, God begins to work and he begins to, to bring healing and the exposure of having that sinful pattern in the light becomes this conduit of God's forgiveness and grace. And, and it's the only way. And I think as we're going through this series called Stuck, I, one of the themes that's just going to run through the whole thing is this theme of vulnerability. Because you don't get unstuck until you, you put it out there and you say, this is where I'm at. I love what this, this speaker, her name is Brene Brown, she's done a ton of just awesome research on vulnerability. And she says this, she says, most people believe vulnerability is weakness but really, vulnerability is courage. We must ask ourselves, are we willing to show up and be seen? It, it's, it's courageous. It takes courage to be vulnerable, to let people in and, and love you and, and just let them see not just the good about you but the, the, but the bad. When you can be courageous enough to be vulnerable, to let others in, to see the good and the bad of who you are, here's the deal. You put yourself in a position to receive God's forgiveness. David, he's made some colossal mess-ups. I mean, adultery, murder. I mean, he's made some big mess-ups. And if you were to look at David's life, it's, it's pretty cool how his life, I mean, he, he goes through some difficult stuff, but, but David, he doesn't go through life with his head hanging down. You know, he doesn't go through life just beat up and just moping around at how big of a loser he is. You don't see that. And the reason why is because he was able to receive God's forgiveness. He received it. He received it. And he knows that when God forgives, he washes. What did David say? He washes whiter than snow. When God forgives, he wipes it out. He, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. When he forgives, he forgives. And when it comes to your sin and your past that God's forgiven, your, your Father in heaven is not carrying it around like this heavy, wet, depressing blankets. So why should you receive God's forgiveness? And when you receive his forgiveness, then you can live in God's healing and God's freedom. Live in his healing and in his freedom. His healing is different than his forgiveness, by the way. When you you come before God and you say, God, this is what I've done. I'm sorry. I repent. I confess. This is what I've done. He forgives. But then he doesn't just, he doesn't stop at that he begins to heal. He comes in. And he works on your, your heart and your life. He moves in and he heals. David would later write this about God. He said, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He doesn't just forgive as if it's just forgiving. It's awesome that he forgives. But he moves in and he's, he, he binds up and he wraps up the brokenhearted. He heals. I love that about God. He heals. And when he heals, you begin to walk in freedom. The first half of David's prayer that we just read, the prayer of the stuck. But then something happens as David begins, he he keeps praying. Something happens and something shifts, something changes. And it's like he's, he's tasting the healing and the freedom that's just kind of flooding over him. And he continues to pray. And listen to what he says. He prays, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burn offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject the broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see the shift that's happened there? He has let God's forgiveness flood in. He's let God's healing flood in. He's, he's, and he's tasting. He's not just talking about God's freedom. He's tasting God's freedom. And he realizes a few things here. First thing he realizes that only God can create a clean heart. Only God. Only God. And you might be here this morning, you're going, okay, yeah, I've got some sinful patterns, some things that I'm stuck in. You're going, I've tried a thousand different things to, to, to just, just get unstuck. I've tried, I've tried new relationships. I've tried, I've tried a drug. I've tried self-help. Maybe it's positive thinking that you've tried. Maybe you've tried some kind of class. Maybe you've tried exercise. Maybe you've tried a new hobby. Maybe you've tried moving to a new town. Maybe you've tried a new church. And you've tried all these different things. But only God can create a clean heart. Only God. Only God can not only create a clean heart, but only God can restore a lost joy. And, and perhaps the worst part about being stuck in a simple, simple pattern is the way that it just sucks the joy right out of you. It just sucks it right out of you. God is here and he restores the joy. And, and, and furthermore, only God can turn a failure into a teacher. He turns a failure, he turns a, uh, just a mess up, he turns that into a teacher. And this is what I mean. So, David, he, he could go around moping about how, how big of a failure he was, but instead he goes to celebrating and praising about how great God is. And, and, and you're in the same boat this morning when it comes to your past. Maybe you look back and you go, Kevin okay, made. This mistake over and over and over and over again. And now you've come to God and you've asked God to forgive you and God to heal you. And you have a choice. You've got a choice. You can either despair at how big of a failure, failure that you were. You can just stay in that spot, just heavy and, man, I just was a screw up, a mess up. Or you can make your life a celebration about how great God is. That God would come in in his mercy, and his grace, and forgive you completely, entirely. That's the choice that you've got to make. I love what um, what Grant Fishbook, the teaching pastor at C.T.K. Bellingham says. He says this, so good. Your past is either Satan's greatest weapon or God's greatest tool. It's either going to be Satan's biggest weapon. He's going to use that just to heap shame on you and to make you feel like a failure, a loser, Just to like weigh you down and to cripple you. It's either going to be Satan's greatest tool, uh, weapon, or it's going to be God's greatest tool. The choice, it's really yours. You can let the enemy work through your past to to heap on shame, or you can go, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to stand firm in God's forgiveness and God's grace, and I'm going to look at this and celebrate that God has healed me. I'm going to become a living testimony of His grace and His mercy. Only God can turn a failure into a teacher. And only God can transform a wreck into a worshiper. David says, I'm going to sing about God. He's set free. He's not just going to hide this and keep it to himself. God's removed the sin. God's removed the guilt. God's removed the shame. And David's going, I'm going to sing about this. I'm going I'm to worship God for all he is. Only God can, can transform a wreck into a worshiper. Only God can take bondage and turn it into freedom. And lastly, only God can make a shattered life become a song of hope for others. Did you notice that last line that we read in David's prayer? David's whole prayer is, is kind of about, he, he's kind of in the middle of it. He's kind of like right there. It's, it's all about, I, I've messed up, God, I've sinned, and, and Lord, I need you to come and wash me clean. And, and it, it's kind of about him, and rightfully so. He's got some serious heart work here to do with God. But then it all changes at the end. And he begins to pray, not for himself, but for his neighbors, for his city, for, for his friends and family. He prays this prayer. He says, look with favor on Zion and rebuild Jerusalem. He's going, okay, what, what I've just tasted, what God has done in my life, what, how God, the, the way that God has poured his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness on me, it's too good for me to keep in and bottle up just for myself. And so he, he shifts and he begins to pray for, for those around him. He prays, God, let your favor be on them as well. Let them experience your favor. Let them experience your grace and your mercy and everything that I've tasted. And one of the, the, the things that, that, that should happen when God touches our life is that we want others to experience that same grace. We want others to experience that freedom and that, that healing, that restoration, God doesn't heal us and free us just for us. He does it so that, we can, so that he can work through us to be healing and to be freedom for our friends, for our family, for our coworkers, for our neighbors, for the parents that we see at the school that our kids go to. He works healing and freedom in us, not just for us. Yeah, he does it for us because he loves us, but he does it for, for even a greater purpose than that. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only hope. And who's going to bring that message to a lost, broken world if we don't? God's got a plan when it comes to bringing this good news about the gospel, about a God who saves and heals. He's got a plan. His plan A is you and me, the church. And He doesn't have a plan B, it's us. If we won't, if, if we're not going to be the ones to, 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 to just offer hope. Offer that message to others, who will? But God saves us and he heals us and he delivers us, not just for us, for others. And this morning, the question for us is, are you stuck or are you free? Are you stuck or are you free? You've got something in your life, you've just been in this sinful pattern that you just can't get out of and you're stuck there. And and I'm not just talking about, often we go to, when we talk about this kind of thing, we go to like the big sins, like adultery or something like that that we've been talking about or whatever. But, but maybe for you, you find yourself stuck in just this self-centered way of living. You're going, I just can't break out and really start loving others. I just find it that my, my whole world is just constantly turned inward on me. I just, I'm stuck there. The tires are spinning round and round. I just can't get set free. Or maybe you find yourself stuck with greed. All you can think about and just plagues you is if I had some more money, I could buy this thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. You're you're stuck. Are you stuck, or are you free? And the good news for us this morning is that we serve a God who came to set us free. He came to get us unstuck. He is like a big old four by four. That should have been one of the names of God in the Bible. He is a big four by four. But, but he's like this big old four by four who's here to tow you out, to reach down his strong arm of love and pull you out. Whomever the sun sets free is free indeed. It's true. It's true. Let it be true for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what I just was thinking as we're singing all these songs this morning about how you're a good, good father and about your love and your grace that was just cl- so clearly seen. On the cross, Lord, I just was thinking about how, Lord, whenever we start talking about sin in the church, often we get this picture of a father who's, uh, who's angry and who's got his finger just wagging at us, and he just he's he just is upset and mad and disappointed and all that kind of stuff. But Lord, I know that you're here this morning as a good, good father who just wants his kids to know life who just wants his kids to know joy, who just wants his kids not to be stuck. You don't want us to be stuck with the guilt and the shame and the joylessness that comes from just being stuck in a sinful pattern of living. And Lord, you are here today as a loving Father with your arms stretched out to pull us out. Lord, I pray that, that Lord, we would have the courage to do whatever it takes to say yes to you, to, to, to go to you, God, give us the courage to do that, I pray. And Lord, I ask, God, that, the Lord, there would be freedom that comes. Lord, as a result of, of this, this message this morning, God, let there be freedom. God, let there be healing. Let there be just the, the taste of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that our lives would just, would just be a, a, a shining light of your grace and your mercy and your, your forgiveness and your healing. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.